So John chapter 9, would you hear the word of God? As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seen. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask his help. Father, thank you so much for uh, this opportunity to gather uh, with your people. I pray, God, that you would use this time for our good and your glory. I pray, Father, that you would give each and every person exactly what they need today to leave here different than they walked in. I pray, Father, that we would see Christ. I, say, I pray, Father, that if there is anyone in here that has not seen Jesus as the light of the world, that you would remove the scales, you would bring them into the light and remove them from darkness. Father, simply I ask what we know not, you would teach us, and what we are not, you would make us, and what we have not, you would give us by your grace for your glory. In Christ's name, God's people said, amen. So today we see the power of Christ on display. He miraculously heals a man who is born blind. Now, this is one of the seven miracles that the Gospel of John records, and one of the ones that really gains a lot of attention from the watching world, as we will see in the following weeks. Now, I want you to remember what has just happened in chapter 8. If you remember, the setting of chapter 8 is at the Feast of the Tabernacles, and the scene is Jesus teaching in the temple. And if you recall, in verse 12, Jesus declares, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, remember, this uh, catapulted the Jews in an angry raid against Jesus that ended in them attempting to stone Jesus Christ. Remember, he picked, they picked up stones. They were going to stone him to death because they have just accused him of blasphemy. But 
Jesus is God, and it was not his time to die. So what happens? Jesus leaves the temple unharmed. And here in chapter 9, we see the light of the world take action. We see him leaving the temple and now going into the world to now take action and to show everything that he has just preached, has taught. He's showing that it is valid. This is real. And now, as he's left these Jews and this Jewish leaders that really think very highly of themselves, we see Jesus now turn his attention to a poor, blind beggar in need. For all of you that don't know, this reminds us of Jesus' mission to seek and save the lost. This shows us here an important truth and that Jesus has come to save those who are in need. As Jesus says in Mark 2, 17, it is those who are well that have no need of a physician, but those that are sick that do. He says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Church, let me ask you, do you realize you are a sinner in need? Do you realize your need for a Savior? Do you realize that you and I are sinners in desperate need of someone to intervene on our behalf? Listen, if you are saved, I pray, I hope uh, that today that you are even just more reminded that you are saved only because of Jesus Christ. Only because the light of the world redeemed you and pulled you out of darkness. See, every Christian's starting point is darkness. Every single one of us. None of us started off doing pretty well. We were lost in darkness. At one point, each and every one of us that call Jesus Christ our Lord, that follow him, that have repented and believed, were living in utter darkness, unable to do anything on our own. So as we look at the story, I pray that all who are Christians are reminded of their blindness before Christ and before he intervened, before he saved and redeemed and, and, and brought the light into your world. And in their remembrance, they will be compelled to worship the one who gave them eyes to see. And listen, if you are not a Christian, I want you to, to, to just pay attention. And my prayer, my prayer this week as I've been preparing, as I've been reading through this text and and just asking God to use this passage for his glory, to to draw sinners to repentance, I pray that today God would deliver you from darkness, that God would give you the gift of salvation and he would open your eyes to see the glories and majesty, the hope that is found in Christ Christ. In Christ alone. 
I pray that you would repent, believe, and follow Jesus today. So let's look here at these first 12 verses in chapter 9. Uh, now this chapter is, it, it's all one story. Uh, I debated on preaching the whole thing and uh, tried to uh, figure out if we could really uh, take the whole story and really unpack it. But I felt as if that if we did, we would be missing a lot of important details of this story. So we're going to take this into a couple of sections that we'll look at over the uh, first or the next couple of weeks. The first week today, we're going to look at this miracle, at this sign that has now shown his validity as he is the one that brings light into the world. So look at verse 1 with me. We'll read 1 and 2 here. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, that means teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind. Now let's stop there and make a couple of observations. First, I want you to notice the intentionality of Jesus Christ here. I want you to just notice our Savior's intentionality. John writes, he saw a man. Now, we don't know for sure if this is directly after he went out of the temple. If you read this, uh, the, the gospel account and you read it without the chapters and the verses, and if you read from chapter 8 to chapter 9, you, it, it probably makes the most sense that he left the temple and then as he passed by, we would assume that this is a, it's right on the heels of his escaping death. We don't know this for sure. But nevertheless, we read that while Jesus is walking with his disciples, he stops, he takes notice of this blind man who is likely sitting in a very crowded area begging those that pass by. He's, he's asking for help. He needs help here. Uh, in Old Testament days and uh, especially uh, in this uh, time frame, the blind were just extremely dependent on the community to help them. Uh, there's actually some Old Testament passages that talk about how to deal and how to care for the blind specifically. It says you must take care of them. We must provide for them. We must help them because they were dependent on those around them. And here we see our Savior stop and give special attention to this seemingly lowly man. Second, let's look here at the question that the disciples ask. They want to know, why is this man blind? Like, what happened? What's going on? And they, they have how many options? They have two immediately to their mind come two options. They say either this man sinned or this man's parents must have sinned. Now, in one sense, they are right. All infirmities and imperities are a result from sin. Every single one of them. Ever since our first parents, Adam and Eve, sinned, humanity has been affected by the consequences of sin. 
okay? Creation is not the way that God originally intended it for it to be. We all feel the effects of sin. We are all uh, in this world that is affected by sin. We feel it sometimes very personally, and sometimes we see it just naturally. We see this. Sin also brought death because of Adam and Eve. Romans 5.12, Paul writes to the Romans. He says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. So this is the doctrine of original sin here. Every single human being is born into sin because of the one man, Adam, every person, every person, the born sinners, they feel the effects. We feel that here in this world. But the effects of original sin are not what they are, in fact, implying here. They are wrongly making a specific individual sin to suffering connection here. They are thinking here wrongly that this, since this man is born blind, he himself must have done something or his parents have done something that then connected this uh, ailment to him. The confusion was partly due to the misinformation of their day. Uh, for example, some rabbis taught that a child could sin in the womb and be punished because of the sin. And there were others that taught that certain pregnant women's sins implicated the child that she carried. Because of these false teachings, many thought that there could always there would always be an, 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 uh, a sin connection here to an impairment. They believed this wrongly. Now, it's important to note here, this does teach us a lot about sin. We must remember that sometimes suffering or disease is a direct cause of individual sin. Sometimes this is the case. We know that natural consequences of sin show us this. We sin and we face natural consequences. Most of the time, the greater the sin, the greater the consequence. Uh, kids, listen to me right now. Your sins will find you out. There are always consequences for your sins. I teach my boys this, uh, that there's always a consequence for our sins. Sometimes the effects are right now, sometimes they're later. But we always have consequences, natural consequences, in fact, for our sin. We also know that there are situations in the Bible where there are direct and specific punishments for specific individual sins. A couple of examples are how God punishes David for the sin of adultery by killing his son in 2 Samuel 12. Uh, we also know that God punishes Miriam by giving her leprosy for opposing Moses in Numbers 12. 
We also know that God kills Ananias and Sapphira for lying in Acts chapter 5. Uh, these are a few examples here. These are examples of direct punishment from God for individual sin. But listen, that is not always the case. That is not always the case in the world we live in. I want you to think of Job's friends, right? Remember Job is going through all this, uh, these trials and tribulations. He's been afflicted by all sides. And his friends keep telling Job, just confess the sin. Like whatever it is, whatever you did, you must have done something. Confess and just, just tell God. And, and then he will relieve you from these calamities. And Job's like, man, I've, I've searched my heart. I've confessed. I, I, there's nothing to confess here. We saw that Job's friends were not the best counselors in times of peril. But we know that it does happen sometimes. And here we see that what is happening in this text is not that. Because Jesus says in verse 3, Jesus answers, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So here Jesus offers a, another option. He, he gives a different reason for this man's disease. He says, it is so the works of God might be displayed in him. See, brothers and sisters, all things, even suffering, are under God's sovereign control. Everything in this world that we deal with. And while trials, tribulation, and disease is not always direct punishment for a specific sin, it is always used for God's divine purposes. And here we read that this man's blindness was to be used as a means to demonstrate God's powerful work. So I want to make a couple applications here. Number one is we should not always assume that someone's suffering is a result of their sin or the sins of others. Listen, let's be honest, right? Oftentimes when we see somebody that may be dealing with some type of situation, or sometimes we uh, see maybe that uh, someone is, is sick or something's going on, there, there is a common thread in, um, in the, the church today in different camps that would say, well, it must be because you did something wrong. And sometimes we ourselves can fall into that trap. We're like, like, well, what did they do to cause this? Like something had to have happened. They must have done something wrong for this to happen. And brothers and sisters, we must be careful to jump to this conclusion. Now, this also includes the popular ideas of generational sin. Listen, yes, sin has generational effects. If someone continually sins in front of their children or towards their children, it will cause damage. Okay, so don't do that. Turn from that. Do not continue to sin in front of your children. I mean, there's a lot of ways that plays out. 
But the Bible teaches us that those that are in Christ, those that are Christians, those that are regenerated, that have been converted, have been changed, are now new creations in Christ our Lord. So listen, no matter what your parents did, no matter what your grandparents did, no matter what anyone in your family tree did, that does not define you if you are in Christ. Live the way Christ has called you to live and change the trajectory for your children. You can overcome these things. A lot of times, you know, I, I myself before have blamed things in my uh, sins in my life on my, my childhood or growing up. And what we do is we, we start playing this little victim role, right? Now, listen, I'm not, I'm not uh, dim d diminishing anybody's trauma or anything you've been through. Things are difficult. Life is hard. But listen, let me encourage you, move forward in Christ. Do not keep looking back to what has happened before. Move forward in Christ. Keep your eyes on him. If you are saved, you have the spirit within you. You can move forward and not keep looking back, remembering the things of your past. They will continue to be a chain and a ball that will hold you down. Move forward in Christ. Listen, maybe your parents didn't set you up for success, but by God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit in you, you can change the trajectory of your life and your children that come after. Second, we must ensure that we examine our lives and take sin seriously. Listen, that's an application for us all. Listen, just because every sin won't produce drastic physical consequences in this life does not mean that we should coddle and wink at our sin. We cannot ignore the warnings of Scripture that teach of the severity of even the smallest sins. Listen, if you continue to walk in unrepentant sin, you will face punishment that is far greater than any infirmity the world has to offer. We must move away from sin. That is repentance. It is walking away from sin. Christian, when you sin, run to Christ. Confess your sin as we just did. That's why we do a corporate confession. We all want to acknowledge there's no one perfect here. We confess our sin together corporately. And then we take time to individually confess the things that the Lord maybe has brought to our mind. But what do we do quickly after that? We run to the gospel. And we allow the gospel to wash us and give us this covenant renewal that would encourage us and spur us along to making war on sin as we continue this journey. But we must examine ourselves and the things that the Lord brings to our eyes by his grace. We must continue to run to Jesus, making war on sin. 
Third, we must trust that God is working in and through our trials and tribulations. We must trust that God is at work, brothers and sisters. I know a lot of the situations that many of you are going through. I know there are difficulties in your lives that are, that are hard. I know there's trials and tribulations that you are dealing with that, that I, I pray the Lord would relieve you from. But trust, church, God is at work. He is working in and through your situations. Scholar Richard Phillips writes, Quote, the Bible states that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Therefore, if we experience many and severe trials, it could simply indicate that we are traveling on the right road. End quote. Listen, rest in the sovereign God who loves you and cares for you beyond your wildest imagination. And trust that all things will work together for the good of those who love God. Rest in that, brothers and sisters. Moving on in our text, we look at verse 4 and see that Jesus does not have time for long theological debates and explanation as I just did. Rather, his purpose at this moment is to get to work. Look at what he says here in verse 4. He says, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Stop there and make a few observations. First, I want you to notice the we here. Notice how he says we. He includes now his disciples And this denotes a change in the structure of this gospel. From chapter 9 on, Jesus' attention focuses on his disciples as he makes his way to the cross. He is attentive now to, to teach them over the crowds and the Jewish leaders whom he's already given much attention to. He focuses in on this group of followers who are now following him as he makes his way to the cross of Calvary. Now here Jesus is speaking of the fact that while he is still in the world, right, before he dies and and is then resurrected and then ascends to heaven, while he is still here, there's work to do. He says we have work to do. And that work here is to display the light to the dark world. He says we must go. We must do the work of God here. This miracle is best described as a sign. I mentioned that earlier, but I don't want it to be lost on you here. This is the sign to show that Christ is the light of the world. Everything that he has just said, all that he has just taught, all the declarations now are in action in the community. Jesus says, I have work to do. He says, I don't have time to argue with the Jewish leaders anymore. I'm doing the work that God has sent me to do. 
He says here, before I go to the cross to complete my greatest work, I will take time with this blind man and provide him the health he needs. I just love how he includes the disciples in this equation. Now, it doesn't mean that the disciples' work will stop after he dies and is buried and is resurrected and ascends. We all know that that's not the case, right? Ephesians 2.10 reminds us, for we are God's handiwork. And we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And they were prepared beforehand. So listen, brothers and sisters, God has prepared you for good works if you are a Christian. And so without wasting any time, Jesus does the work he was intended to do for this man born blind. Look at verse 6. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seen. Now, we don't know why he used mud. There's a lot of speculations out there. I'm, I'm not convinced by any of them. Um, just know that he used mud. John Calvin says that um, he put mud on his eyes to uh, intensify the miracle, but you can't be blind, more blind than you, if you're completely blind, you're just blind. And so adding mud to that doesn't really change much to that. There's some other thoughts out there, but I don't find them extremely helpful or or convincing. Uh, Furthermore, we don't know why he uses spit. There's some thoughts out there on that too. I'm not fully convinced of any of them. And so all I'll say is that this is what the text tells us. And he uses mud, and he uses spit. Now, I don't recommend any of you spitting on your hand, mixing it with mud, and putting it on anyone's, uh, the, any part of any human body. Don't, don't do that. That's gross. Okay? Um, but the significance of Jesus going or sending this man to the pool of Siloam, John doesn't want it to be missed here. So he gives us this statement and says that, This means sent. Here John shows that Jesus is the one who has been sent by God. Remember, this is what Jesus has been saying the whole time. The Father has sent me on mission. I'm here. I'm doing the work of my Father. You don't believe that I came from the Father. Believe me, I'm sent by the Father. Trust me, I am. And so we see that he uses this pool of Siloam, which means what? Sent, in connection with this miracle, this sign, he sends the man to this water. Go to the one, you go to the river, the pool of sentness, as I am the one who has been sent. Go there. Wash yourself. It is an illustration of who Jesus is. Uh, You want to notice here for a second, too, the connection to living water. Remember, Jesus has just said this as well. He says, I'm the living water. I wash away sin. 
I don't want you to miss what Jesus is doing here. I mean, he's using these, these things that he has taught, and he's creating validity in the world. He's using these illustrations for the watching world to see that he is exactly who he has said that he is. He doesn't want them to have any doubt. And listen, this is why we have the Bible now as Christians. God wants us to know him. He wants us to see him. He wants us that that weren't there to have a record of these stories. We want to see Christ. I mean, this is just a tremendous display here. Make a couple of applications just in this section. I want to ask you, brothers and sisters, are you working the works that need to be accomplished? Are you doing the work of today? I mean, how are you in your life working that which God created for you? Listen, families, communities, I mean, whatever the Lord has placed you in, are you using the opportunities that God has given to you to display the beauty of Christ? Are you using the gifts that God has given to you to to point people to God? Listen, fathers, we must first and foremost serve our families before we do anything else. You must serve your family first and foremost before any other ministry is able to be done. Mothers, I I plead with you, ensure that your family gets the first attention in your life. Serve your family well. Love them well. Ensure that the things within your home are taken care of. I mean, this is how we ensure that the, the, the work, the work that the Lord has us in, first and foremost, is done. I mean, this is the primary work that God has given to you. We must look at where we are and ask God, how can I do your work here? And then those things can, there's concentric circles that it moves out to indeed. Serve our communities as a family, individually. If you are single, use your time to serve others. If you are without children right now and you are married, use your time to just generously serve one another and serve those around you. Listen, we cannot be slothful. Social media can wait. The game can wait. These things that we think are just of utmost priority can wait. And they must wait if we intend to do what God has called us to do. I see 
Too many men making posts on Facebook and social media while their family is in shambles. Get off the screen and get in the word. Do what God has called you to do. Second, I want us to notice the obedience of this man. Notice his obedience here. What does he do? Well, he does exactly what Jesus told him to do. He goes. He obeys. If you remember back in 831, what did Jesus say back there? You can turn back there. It's uh, probably one page back. He said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. So what is this man doing here? He's abiding at Jesus' word. He, all he's done so far is done what? He's heard. He hasn't even seen Jesus. He heard what Jesus said, and what does he do? He obeys his word. This is abiding. Abiding is obeying. Family, are you doing that today? Brothers and sisters, are you abiding in God's word? Are you abiding in the words of Christ, your, your Savior, the one who loves you? And listen, practically this is how this plays out. Listen, daily Bible reading and prayer. Now, every day is not going to be a two-hour Bible study that just brings you this great connection with the Lord. Sometimes we take uh, bites. Sometimes we're eating on the run. But listen, you can never neglect your spiritual nourishment and expect to grow spiritually. Spiritual nourishment is far greater than physical nourishment. Skip a meal if you have to. Listen, often when I have conversations with those that are struggling with sin, that are struggling with different difficulties in this life, that they just can't figure out how to, to work these things out, one of the first questions I'll ask them is, what does your Bible reading and prayer time look like? And oftentimes, nine out of ten, it is minimal or absent. Listen, let me encourage you. The first point of disconnect from Christ that leads to sin is often a lack of daily Bible reading and prayer. You need this. I need this. Listen, it's my own life too. We must abide in the word of God. We must sit at the feet of our Savior and say, feed me like this beggar. Help me. I need help. When you don't have it figured out, guess who does? God. And he may not give you all the answers right then as you need them, but he will provide comfort that far surpasses anything the world can provide. Rest in Christ. So let's look here and see now what happens to this man. What happens to this man who is now 
been healed. Good. Verse 8 here. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. What does he keep saying? I am the man. I mean, I just want you to picture this scene for a moment. So this man has gone back to his community. He's, he's done what Jesus has told him to do. He's obeyed. Now he's gone back, and he's probably like, hey, whoa, I can see he's made his, own, his way back, probably without the help of others. I mean, his life is changed, and people are confused. Like, this ain't the guy. This must not be him. It can't be him. I remember he was just begging for for, for food. He was begging for alms. He, he needed help. This can't be him. He was blind. There's no way that now he sees. And he kept saying, he, it says he kept, he, he was saying over and over again, I am the man. It's me. I mean, what a, what a wonderful testimony. I mean, that's, that's my prayer for, for our church, too, that you know, there's, there's some of us in here, and I, I can tell from my own story, right, that, like, man, there's some people, there's no way that's the same guy that I knew 20 years ago. There, there's no way that's the same Tyler Cash. I mean, they're just confused by what has happened. But by God's grace, look at what we see here. I mean, this wonderful, wonderful display, this physical display that represents this spiritual work that happens within the lives of those that are first started off in darkness, but then Jesus brings to light. So they said to him in verse 10, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, oh, he just automatically, I love this. He answered, he just says, listen, this is what happens. The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. He says, I went. I just did what Jesus told me to do, and it worked. <laughs> What a simple picture of salvation. Obedience to Christ is paved with blessing. The Lord's kindness is available for all who would repent, believe, and obey Jesus Christ. He's still doing the work of salvation, friends. So they said to him, well, where is he? He said, I do not know. Now, we will see this story develop. We will see this story develop where this man will eventually come to worship Jesus Christ. And we see this trajectory take place here where he starts by obedience then he gets interrogated because of his obedience, because of what has happened. 
And then we'll read that he worshiped Jesus when he sees him for all that he is. But here, he doesn't know where Jesus is. All he knows is that he can now see. He's new. He was blind, but now he can see. Brothers and sisters, what a beautiful walking testimony of Christ. The power of Christ who can change the hard heart, the blind, can soften the heart, open our eyes, and draw us to himself from the kindness and mercy that is not due any of us. We have done nothing to earn the free gift, the good gift, the perfect gift of salvation, but God. But God. So brothers and sisters, I want you to remember that this is our story. Each and every one of us. We were blind. We were in darkness. But now, by God's grace, we see I want to just close here as we prepare to sing this familiar hymn, Amazing Grace. And if you don't know, the writer of Amazing Grace is this man named John Newton. And he was once a slave trader who then, upon conversion, uh, worked as hard as he could to uh, bring an end to slavery. Uh, He helped to to actually uh, stop slavery by some of his efforts in some places. And Newton, as a slave trader, was, was blind. He was in darkness. He writes in the line, right, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. I mean, He knew his status before and after Christ, even leading up to his death. He he started to have some memory loss and started to suffer with what many would say was dementia. And he then, although his thoughts were limited, it's recorded that Newton would always say that he could remember two things, that he was a great sinner and that Jesus is a great Savior. Brothers and sisters, my prayer is that that would be what we remember today. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your kindness that's been displayed through Christ, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Help us to remember that that is our situation. That is our story. And Father, as we then share this good news with others, may we remember that there is hope for all who are lost in darkness. Father, may may we be a people that evangelizes with eagerness, 
May we do the works that you have called us to do. May we first start in our families, in our homes, our communities, where you have us. And, Father, I pray that that would pour over into the world around us for their good and your glory. Father, we're grateful to be yours. Would you use this time, help to change our hearts. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.